You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a four-part series of messages Robert A. Cook presented from the Book of Philippians at Founders Week 1982. Robert A. Cook was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, president of King's College in New York, and radio host of Walk with the King. Now, here is Robert A. Cook on Today in the Word radio. Now we finish up our discussion then today by looking at the fourth chapter of Philippians. Christ, the supply of all of my need. Christ, my life, chapter one. Christ, my Lord, chapter two. Christ, my goal and my model, chapter three. Christ, the supply of all my need, chapter four. And I've endeavored, as you discovered early in this series, not to give you a formal exposition of the text, but to touch down on some of the practical points some of the practical implications of the truth as found in these chapters. Let me read with you then some of these verses in Philippians 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odia, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and others, my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We'll stop the reading there, although if time serves us, we'll go a little farther in the chapter, obviously. Some of the implications of the fact that Christ is the supply of our need. The key verse, obviously, is 419. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How often in student days you and I have had to remind God of that verse. Have you ever had to do that? I know I did. We used to pay our board bills once a week here in uh, the Institute. I presume that practice has been modified and you now pay a larger sum more uh, seldom. But anyhow, Every week, I had to have a certain amount of money to go over to the accountant's office and deposit it so that I was sure of getting uh, my uh, calories for the next week. And sometimes it was a little short, and I had to pray, Oh, Lord, help me. And he did. Uh, God answers prayer. Student days uh, remind you of the fact that God meets needs oftentimes in terms of finances. And of course, then on exams, very frequently, you find yourself praying, Lord, help me. I do remind our people at the King's College, God will never, in answer to prayer, help you remember something you did not first forget. So uh, you have to put it in there before he'll bring it out in answer to prayer. There's no substitute for doing your homework and knowing your stuff. But in any case, needs. As you read this fourth chapter, however, you'll find that there are other areas of need spoken of 
the answer to which is the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first of all has to do with people. He said, I beseech you, Odia and Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Dr. Ironside used to, used to call them odious and soon touchy. Any of you old timers remember that? That was his uh, nickname for them, odious and soon touchy. Uh, ladies who uh, just simply couldn't get along. Well now, before you've gone very far in Christian work, you find out that 90% of Christian work turns out to be getting along with people, doesn't it? If pastors, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to deal with your congregation all the time? <laughs> of course, you wouldn't have a job either and you wouldn't eat, but then uh, uh, that's beside the point. And roommates, you know about roommates? Uh, you know, you want the window closed, he wants it open. You want to go to bed at a decent hour, he wants to stay up. Uh, you like Bach and he likes uh, something else. <laughs> Rhymes with rock. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you know, roommates. Roommates can be so dreadfully unreasonable, isn't it true? And you're such a nice person. It's, un it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, people, people, people problems constitute one of the great needs of your life. You cannot go through life, especially if you intend to be used of God in any way. You cannot go through life just ignoring people and, and just be like a human bulldozer and say, get out of my way and, and shove people aside. The, the, the very heart and backbone of Christian work has to do with ministering to folk. And so what are you going to do about it? Well, it's, the key, as I see it, in this passage is found in verse 3, where he says, help. Help those women. You find a way to help them. God will find a way to adjust the, the tension. Everybody you ever meet, I tell my young people, everybody you ever meet is going to be hurting somewhere. Find out where he's hurting and help to put the, the bomb of Gilead on that that hurt. Everybody that we meet has a need of some sort, and you can help to meet that need. Now, don't make a federal case of it. You know, the, the, most, the most boring person that I can think of is someone who says, I'm going to be a blessing to you, brother. Oh, come on, you know. <laughs> That's the kind of person we can give up for Lent. Don't make such a big thing of being helpful and being a blessing. Just, just be helpful. If somebody's carrying a heavy suitcase, lift it for him. I have friends today across, I suppose, 17 years or 18 years now. My dear friends, you know why? Because when they came to our school and pulled up their car, they had a bunch of luggage. I said, here, let me help you with that. I never thought about it at all. You know, you do that instinctively. So let me help you with that. And uh, they didn't know me from Adam's ox. And so uh, uh, I put the suitcases inside, and they said, who are you? I said, oh, I empty the wastebaskets around here. And I went on. <laughs> well, they went down the hall to the admissions people. They said, we just met your janitor. He's so helpful. <laughs> well, the key to letting Jesus meet your needs in terms of people is find a way to be of help. Find a way to be of help. That means, first of all, you have to notice them. You'd be amazed at how many people you pass by, simply you never notice them. Some of you may remember Joe Ankerberg. He was, he was 
guaranteed to shout at least one tremendous hallelujah or amen in any meeting around the Chicago area. A dear man of God, an inveterate soul winner, and uh, I'm sure that heaven has had a good deal more vibrations since he got there. But in any case, he had at one time the largest class of boys anywhere in the Chicago area. And someone asked the question, what's the secret to that huge class of boys? And one of his own youngsters gave the answer. Here it is. Mr. Ankerberg would notice something about a boy, even if it were only one new shoelace. Now that doesn't hit some of you because you haven't been brought up that way. I happen to have been brought up in a family where we were poor. As a matter of fact, we were so poor that the poor folks called us poor folks. That's poor. And you never used a pair of shoelaces, you used one at a time. Shoelaces only break one at a time, you know that. So you never used a pair of them, you replaced the one that broke. And of course it stood out, that, that side, you know, looked new and the other was, was worn. And he would notice something even if it were only one new shoelace. Isn't that something? Notice people, look at people. Most people don't look at you, they see you as a kind of a human blur going by someone out of whose way they have to stand in order to let you by. Look at people, look in their eyes. You'd be amazed at how grateful some folk are if you just look at their eyes and, and recognize them as being living, worthwhile human beings. Notice people. Notice something about them. You see somebody that looks nice, tell them so. I have a private crusade. I wouldn't tell this in, in Briarcliff, but I can tell you because only a few million people will hear it. But uh, I, have a, I have a private crusade going that's been going for these 20 years there at King's. If somebody looks nice, I'll tell him so or tell her so, you know. You can see that this lady got up early and, and, and fixed her hair and, and put on her face and, and has on the nicest dress she can manage. And she goes down the hall. Well, I may be old, but I'm not blind and I can appreciate her. And I say, my, you look nice this morning. God bless you. You know, well, that, that, that helps her to feel a little better as she goes on her way to eight o'clock uh, World Civ or whatever it may be. And I'll see somebody who has uh, gotten a haircut. He doesn't look like an accident going somewhere to happen. He actually looks pretty neat. And he's got his trousers pressed. And, and he's got a necktie on. It's tied well and all of that. I say, hey, fella, you look great this morning. Well, all right. Nothing wrong with noticing people, is there? That's part of being helpful. Notice them. Then listen to them. Listen to them. You'd be amazed at how few of us ever listen to anybody else. Most people, you think they're listening? No, they're just waiting for you to stop so they can start talking. That's a fact. And so we need to, to learn the skills of listening. Put out of sight and out of mind whatever you may have been doing. Don't be a, a, a paper clip bender or a, a pencil a, a twiddler or a, a paper shuffler. Put out of sight and out of mind what you may have been doing. Look at the person. We covered that a moment ago. Think toward the person. What is this person's need? What is he trying to tell me? What is he really saying? What is the statement behind what he is saying? Every psychiatrist knows that there's the presenting cause and complaint, and then there is the actual cause behind the presenting cause. What is this person saying? What is he trying to say? Listen to him. And then after you have heard whatever the person is saying, give it back to him in your own words. That tells the person that you have been listening. Give it back to him in your own words. 
Listen to people. Find a way to get them into the presence of Jesus. Now, there are some times when evidently it's not your right to pray, but there are many times when you can simply say, hey, let's pray about this. We've been talking about, let's talk to the Lord about it. And in 30 seconds, you can commit the situation to God and the person with whom you've been is gonna be aware of the fact that Almighty God has been brought in to the, to the, the equation. God is part of what he has been talking about now. You can be a help to people. Obviously, there are the things that you can do. If a person needs a job, help him look for a job. If he's got holes in the bottom of his shoes, help him get them half-soled. If he's hungry, give him something to eat. If, he's, if his heart is breaking, cry with him. You remember the little girl who was late for supper? You must know that one, it's an old timer. She was late for supper and her mother was worried sick about her and so when this tiny little gal toddled in, she said, dearie, where in the world have you been? Oh, she said, I've been with Mrs. So-and-so down the street. She said, Mrs. So-and-so, that's the lady whose husband died this morning. She said, yes, I went by and I stopped in to see her and she was crying, so I stayed and helped her cry. Oh, yes. What did Paul say? Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that we, you help people by noticing them, by appreciating them, by listening to them, by responding to them in your own words and ways, and by helping with obvious felt needs that are theirs, whether it's from tears to triumph to jobs to whatever. Jesus supplies your need in people relations, interpersonal relations. He supplies your need when you let him help folks through you. The only way to be secure is to be needed, and the only way to be needed is to supply somebody else's need. You work on that the rest of your life, and God will bless you in it. Christ supplies your need in the matter of worry. Many people, well, worry is a sin, but they get concerned anyway. Uh, Paul says, don't be care-filled for anything, but pray about everything and the peace of God will keep your hearts like a garrison of soldiers. Now, you've, you've all, all of us have heard and many of us have preached sermons on the cure for worry as found here and elsewhere. The fact remains that worry is the absence of an organized plan. And the only way you can get an organized plan of how to confront any given situation is by turning it over to God who already knows the score. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world, said Paul. And so the only way that you can have an awareness of some kind of an organized plan bigger than your own comprehension of it is to take that which you're worried about and turn it over to God. Now I find that it helps me when I'm upset about something to get a piece of paper and write down what it is I'm really worrying about. Many a time when you take the, the effort and time to go through the, the mental exercise of putting down on paper what it is that bothers you, you will see immediately the fallacies in your own thinking and you will see some steps that you can take it to combat the situation. That's always very helpful. Write it down and second, talk it over to God. Tell God about it point for point. 
If this seems a little simple to you, remember that Jesus said you have to become as little children. God wants a simple, not a complicated approach. God does not appreciate the speeches we make to him. Our brother MacArthur mentioned that as he quoted from Isaiah and some of the other prophets where God says, I get tired of the speeches you make and the fancy religious observances that you bring to me. God wants a simple approach and it will be very helpful to you I predict. If you will first of all write down what bothers you and then talk it over with God. Say, Lord, this is the problem and lay it out before him. Third, wait on him until he, by the Holy Spirit, gives you some insight on the matter. Once you have analyzed it and prayed thoroughly about it, put it in his hands and wait on it. He said, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer is worship, supplication is telling him what you need. The combination, bringing the situation and yourself with it to God, takes the steam out of the pressure cooker and worry no longer is a threat to you. I have found this, that when I'm worried about something and I pray about it, the faithful Holy Spirit always will give me at least one step of action that I can take to defuse the situation or to relieve the pressure. There's always one thing that you can do. I think just this moment of something that happened, I suppose 10, 12 years ago now, a whole delegation of students waited on me one day right after chapel. We have daily mandatory chapel at our place. That gives us a chance once a day to face in the direction of the cross and talk to our blessed Lord together as a family. Right after chapel, there was this delegation of maybe 15 students whom I found in my office looking very upset. And I thought, oh, now what, you know? And I said, well, now what, what is it? And their leader said, there's a dead mouse in the kitchen. <laughs> I thought, dear Lord, how can I be responsible? I didn't know when some mouse is going to glory. <laughs> You know, and if, and, and if he decided to, 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 to uh, take his demise uh, someplace in the kitchen, what can I do about it? Well, I thought, there's one thing you can do. So I said to the man who was speaking to me, have you given him a decent Christian burial? No, he said, he's still there. Well, I said, why don't you go down and, and just decently inter him in the ash can and then come up, we'll talk about it. Well, really what it developed was that there was a series of small complaints. Somebody needed a shower curtain and hadn't gotten it, and somebody else's lamp didn't work, and so on. And we took care of these things and uh, got along famously, as I recall. But there's always one thing that you can do. I remember that now. You can always bury the mouse and go on to other things, you see. Uh, when you pray about what is really bothering you, God in his faithful way through the Holy Spirit will always, I, I promise you this works, he will always give you one step of obedience that you can take. And when you take one step of obedience, the pressure is gone, the worry is dissipated because you know that you are now walking in the direction of God's perfect plan for you. The peace of God then that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds like a garrison of soldiers. What else does he say? You have a need for the management of your mind. If you want to know how perverse your mind is, just sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and decide that you're going to think about just one thing, only one thing for the next five minutes. 
If you have a little timer or uh, a wrist alarm or something, you set it for five minutes, and then you sit down with that paper, and you're gonna think about one thing. Now you can think about anything you wish. Ten penny nails, or Model T Fords, or, or blondes, or food, or whatever it may be. But you're gonna think about one thing for five minutes, and you're gonna make a mark on the paper every time your thoughts wander. Now I can guarantee you that by the time that the timer goes off at the end of five minutes, you're gonna have many marks on the paper, if you're honest, because your mind just keeps on moving in so many different directions constantly. And so one of the great problems, that one of the great needs, if you want to put it that way, that we have is the need of some way to manage our minds. I shall not go back over the territory we covered the other day in uh, reminding you that you have a computer between your two ears and that you need to program into that computer the Word of God. But notice what he says. Whatsoever things are honest, true, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if virtue and praise think on these things. To manage your mind, you take the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in His Word, and you program them into your mind, and the faithful Holy Spirit of God brings them out under pressure. This is a great need, especially in your salad days, in your student days, because uh, you, your mind doesn't always think the way it should. Uh, you don't always have the thoughts that you wish you had. And you say to yourself, I can't help it. And you know you're right. But when you find that you can yield that mind to your blessed Lord, and you can program into that mind the truth of the Word of God and the essential attributes of your lovely Lord as listed here in Philippians 4.8. When you can program into your mind His Word and His beauty and His thoughts and His purpose, Ah, then you have a managed mind because He is in control. I say sometimes to our young people, let, let Jesus be the programmer of your mind. When you're aware of something unworthy that is, is going on through your stream of consciousness there and, and, and getting printed out, so to speak, on the computer terminal of your mind, and you're aware of it and it bothers you, at that moment say, Lord Jesus, you're my Savior. You control my mind, control my thoughts, control my reactions to circumstances and people. He will. Oh, how wonderful to know that it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Willing has to do with the mentality. Doing has to do with conduct. Jesus can control them both. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that's so? Let Him do it. Let Him do it. You don't have to be the victim of random, errant, prodigal thoughts. You can think in line with God's will. He says so. He'll supply that need. And then you need a strategy for action. What do I really do? I've always needed direction ever since I was a little boy. I remember helping my father in his work as a janitor in a Spanish commercial school in Cleveland, Ohio. And I would follow along after him and help him as best I could. And I remember even then when he'd say, boy, pick up that paper, I would say, which one? Oh, that must have been frustrating to him, you know, and he'd have to explain, I mean all of it, all that paper, you know, but I needed direction. I still do. And I wouldn't be surprised but that you do as well. What shall I do to develop a strategy for living? Notice what he says. Those things which you have learned and received 
and heard and seen in me do. Now, Paul the Apostle in that day was saying, I'm God's example for you. You and I have any number of examples, as for uh, instance in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the heroes of faith, and all these other great servants of God who gave us his written word as we have it today. Take the lives and the conduct and the truth that produced that conduct and use it as your example. A strategy for living is simply this. Take what happened to God's people and apply it to your life. You'd be amazed how simply that lines up your life in terms of believable godliness and Christianity. Take what God has done in others and apply it to your life. Those things that you have learned and received and seen and heard do. Look at your Bible. What did God do with David? How did he deal with Abraham? How did he deal with Daniel? How did he deal with Simon Peter? Dear Simon Peter, he had to be vocal, didn't he? It, uh, the, again and again it says, Simon answered and said. Nobody ever asked him anything, but he answered and said. <laughs> How like him some of us are. Well, take what God has done with his servants and apply it to your life. Our brother MacArthur said, these things happen to them for examples that we might be profited thereby. A strategy for living. How can you tell what's going to happen in the next 50 years? Educators are pondering the fact that it is impossible to train a man or a woman for a job that hasn't even been invented yet. How are you in the, in the graduate schools going to train people for positions that haven't even been thought of yet in the next half century? If our Lord Jesus tarries and the world doesn't blow itself up, the electronic revolution is going to produce a, uh, a type of employment and a lifestyle entirely different from what you and I know today. This is predictable, but you can't quite say how to get ready for it. So then what do you do? As a Christian, you look into God's Word and you find Him telling you how to live in light of eternity today. And so day by day, as you pattern your life according to the examples God has given you, He not only gives you His blessing now, but He is in the process of preparing you for being useful in the tomorrows. Those of us who have lived a while can tell you that. Everything that ever happened to me before is helpful to me now. That's a fact. 18 years full-time in the pastorate taught me how to care about people, to love them, and to minister to them as best I could under the enablement of the Spirit of God. The years I spent in Youth for Christ taught me how to appreciate young people and to help deal with their problems and challenges. The years I spent with Scripture Press told me how to tell a credit from a debit without opening the middle drawer. That's an old accountant's joke. You know, the old accountant had a card attached to the bottom of his middle desk drawer. And on that card, it said, wall side credit, window side debit. You know, that's the only way he could tell. Well, I found out how to read a profit and loss statement and manage by objective and do a number of other things under the gentle tutelage of Victor Corey, now with the Lord. That was a great help to me when I began working then some years ago as a college president. God took everything that happened as I walked with him and did his will the best I knew how, and he built it into a preparation for the tomorrows without my knowing it. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that's so? You don't have to worry about the future. 
There's nothing to worry about because God is in the future. Just be faithful to him now. Just do his will now. Just look at his blessed word that contains all of the examples for godly living that you'll ever need and all of the warnings about the mistakes that people make that you will ever need. Take them all and fit them into your daily living and God will be getting ready for the greatness that he wants to put into your life in the tomorrows. Praise his name. Your need for a strategy for living. Christ is the answer to your need for contentment and confidence. He said, not that I speak in respect of want. I didn't really crave the love offerings that you people at Philippi sent to me because I've learned in whatsoever condition I am therewith to be content. So I can be abased or abound. I can be full or to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Whatever happens, he said, it's part of his provision. He says, I can do anything God asks me to through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The secret of contentment is to know that God is big enough for what's happening right now. I used to tell our young men and youth for Christ, fellas, the only time you need to worry is when you're not quite sure that God can handle things. If you're not sure whether he can handle things, then you better worry. And the, the only time when you ought to be discontented is when you're not quite sure whether God is in charge of your life and the circumstances around it. But if you know that God is big enough for what's going on, you can be perfectly content, can't you? Now, I never heard anybody that said, oh, goody, I have to go to the dentist. You know, I don't hear people rejoicing over that. And when you get there, he takes this animated telephone pole. Uh, it feels like that, doesn't it? and he puts it into the most painful part of that tooth that has a cavity in it, and he moves it around. I don't know why they always have to move it around, but they do. And, uh, uh, but you don't complain, much that is. You don't, uh, you don't jump out of the chair and say, I simply will not submit to this. No, you sit there, you go through it, why? Because you know that something beneficial is happening. You know that he's doing something that will enable you to, uh, to hang on to that tooth instead of losing it. It's something beneficial going on. You know that the dentist is capable, so you sit there and, and, and you're quiet and, and submissive. Now that's a poor illustration perhaps of what we're putting across, and yet there are some points that you can apply. You and I may not like what's going on, this minute in our lives. I suppose in a crowd like this, together with our dear radio friends, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people who could say with deep meaning, Brother Cook, things aren't so good with me. I don't like the way things are going. And you know you're right. But Paul said, look, I can do all things. I can, I can do whatever God tells me to do because Jesus is strengthening me. God will never ask you to do something for which he will not also enable you. The secret of contentment is to know that God is on the job. If God is on the job today in your life, you can be content because the responsibility is His, not yours. You get the idea? So that you take everything you get from God and you do everything you do for God and you depend upon everything you attempt with God. And contentment is that vast and ineffable sensation of saying, it is God that worketh in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. The secret 
of contentment and confidence. Jesus supplies the need because he's with you on the job. I suppose the greatest of all needs is the need for a person to share your life. The loneliness of people who are entirely alone in the world is almost indescribable. And so Paul says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I was at A.B. Simpson that wrote the, the song Jesus Himself, based on the, the verse, Jesus Himself drew near. Then were the disciples glad, taken from another verse, when they saw the Lord. First it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. First it was the feeling, now it is His word. You and I need a person, after all, to nail down in our lives the truths that count for eternity. When you have said it all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as the center of all of your life, as the focus of all of your love, as the implementer of all of divine plans through you, as the uh, strengthener of your feeble human efforts, and as the completer of all of your life's ministry. There are no loose ends. There are no unfinished symphonies in the plan of God. Jesus himself, all your needs, according to his riches and glory. How? By Christ Jesus. Now, there's a tendency in uh, conferences such as this blessed Founders Week conference just to soak up whatever blessings we can in the meetings and, and let the, the, the program go by as a kind of a blessed evangelical blur of consciousness and you feel good about it all. I wish somehow that before the week is over, students and visiting friends and pastors and faculty and staff, I wish that somehow before the week is over, each of us could find a place where we would take the, the empty places in our lives, the places where we have some needs yet to be filled, and we very quietly turn them over to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, you be the supply of this need. What it boils down to is this, 1 Corinthians 1, Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, everything in Jesus, because he, after all, is the supply of our need. Many of you listen uh, on the radio to our radio broadcasts, and I'm grateful, and the brethren seated with me on the platform suggested that when I sign off this morning, I might very well use the phrase that has become part of our trademark. So all right, I will. Until I meet you once again by way of radio, walk with the King today and be a blessing. God bless you. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message that Robert A. Cook presented at Founders Week 1982. Robert A. Cook was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, president of King's College in New York, and radio host of Walk with the King. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Join us next week as we bring you messages from George Sweeting and Craig Massey. Also, be sure to tune in the evenings of Tuesday through Friday, February 2nd through 5th, as we bring you live coverage of Founders Week 2021. We'll hear from David Platt, Rodney Maiden, Priscilla Shire, 
and close our Founders Week next Friday evening with a message from MBI President Dr. Mark Job. All details can be found at foundersweek.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S week.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.